Hello and welcome to this episode of The Abundant Edge. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and this is the podcast all about the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living. I have a fantastic interview for you today, so let's jump right on in. Now, my guest today is another good friend of mine by the name of Max Benjamin, who lives close by here in Sununa, Guatemala. Max is also the owner of El Jocotel, a small permaculture farm and guesthouse here on Lake Atitlan. Max is originally from Springfield, Massachusetts, and studied mechanical engineering at the University of Rochester, which led him to work on drawbridges, jet engines, at a bubble wrap company, and he even taught one year of high school physics. In the last three years, Max has moved to Guatemala and set out to build his very own permaculture farm and sustainable business. Now, the main reason why I asked Max to share his experiences and stories on this podcast is because he's a fantastic example of where many of my listeners are in their own process of transitioning to a permaculture or regenerative lifestyle. And though his own experiences and circumstances might be completely different from your own, I think you'll find that many of the challenges he's having at the moment will resonate, and that some of the solutions that we talk about could also apply to your own path towards the lifestyle and goals that many of you are reaching for. I think that a lot of you will take comfort in knowing that there are many people like you making big steps towards positive change and more holistically healthy lifestyles. And though you might not be exactly where you want to be right now, there are some very simple and practical steps that everyone can take to keep moving forward in the right direction. So without further ado, here's my buddy Max. Max, thank you so much for taking time today. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Oliver. Thanks for coming up. I say being here, but I'm actually at your place with a fantastic view of the valley below us here in Sununa, Guatemala, and the Lake Atitlan uh, over to the corner here. I'll actually post a picture because this is one of the best views I've ever had while recording an episode. So, hey, let's jump right in. Talk to me a little bit about how you got started here. You've been here now for just over three years? Right, about three and a half years. I came here as a as a backpacker, just looking to have a long trip through Latin America. And uh, But Lake Atitlan was the first place I came to and, uh, and stayed for six weeks at the Yoga Forest as a permaculture volunteer. And I met, happened to meet Charlie Rendall, who I think is on your show. And, yeah, he was uh, my mentor. I actually came here first to intern with him because he's a bamboo specialist. He's very well appreciated around here on the lake. Huge resource. Yep. He he helped. He came, looked at this land, and helped me kind of feel feel okay about about buying the place here. Um, so after being at the yoga forest and um, seeing what what foreigners were doing here, I thought I could uh, build up my own project. And over the last three years, what have been sort of the main projects and enterprises that you've built into the land that you have here? Uh, well, I just uh, I started taking cuttings and starters of pretty much every plant I could get my hands on. And uh, through that process, learning how to propagate plants. So just trying to build nice gardens, uh, which centered around this cabin and grew out um, so I started with this cabin and a composting toilet, which was a design I copied. It works great and it's easy. Um, and eventually got into a batch of eight egg hens and that's grown into 36. Uh, and now we're raising meat. 
So we do uh, we do a rental. We'd like to do more rentals in the future, but we once we have more space, um, we do the rental and the chickens and the eggs and the gardens. And uh, um, I'm doing a, a fermentation kombucha that uh, is sold to six or seven clients around the lake. Um, I think that's that's about it for now. We're looking more hospitality and uh, more more production of herbs and lettuces and and our fruit. Well, so I know you're here for the long haul, and though you've got quite a few projects already established, tell me a little bit about your vision for the future and what else you want to bring in to both the land and some of the business practices that you're integrating in with the community. Great. I think what's so nice about hosting people here is, is that they get a taste of of sort of simplicity of living up here where it's quiet, you have to walk up here and it's kind of therapeutic just, just in that alone, just by arriving here. So if we could share that with more people, um, that would be cool. Uh, I teach with Atitlan Organics in the permaculture workshops and bring groups up here to study how to read the contour of the land. And I'm happy to continue that and maybe bring in my own, set of students to to keep teaching the permaculture um and with this land i think of this as kind of like a demo farm or like a hobby garden where where we have plenty of space to test a lot of things but maybe not to be a a production that supports us by itself so um sometimes local people come here and uh one young guy he's about 22 is thinking about they've already begun to do eggs and they want to expand and have more of an integrated uh, system with, with eggs and compost and fruit trees and uh, helping locals start in that in, in, um, in a nice kind of permaculture-based, sustainable, regenerative system is, is exciting. Fantastic. Now, I know that there are a lot of differences in both advantages and disadvantages with working in very undeveloped, very rural areas in uh, well, fairly undeveloped countries in the areas where we're at here in Guatemala. I know like one example would be in the United States to sell eggs, you would need to get a permit and a facility in order to be a licensed packager of those products. Whereas here, those are the types of hoops you don't have to jump through. But on the other hand, um, the, the distribution networks aren't there. And a lot of the, the return that you could expect for products like that is going to be a lot lower. What are some other things that need to be taken into account when getting into farming enterprises in a country like this? Uh, okay, there's one thing is, I think of back in the States, there always seems to be a lot of a lot of junk around, stuff people are giving away that could be really useful for, you could build, probably easy, easily build a chicken house for free, or you could build a, a greenhouse with used windows or something like that. But here we get almost nothing. Uh, even if it's free for me in another village, I've got to haul it back here and then walk it up the hill and probably hire labor. So we get almost nothing extra. Uh, nothing. That There's no waste stream to, to tap into here. That's right, right. Um, so we have to do everything. We have to consider very carefully all the materials that we're going to bring back for a project or what we can source from the mountainside. Um, so that's something that's a little different. There's no pickup truck here to, to throw in carbon or hay or dry leaves or anything. And even if there was, there's not close access here either. 
where right. you are on the side of this slope, you're not going to be able to get any kind of vehicle for easy transportation of materials. Right. Everything gets walked up by foot, isn't that right? That's right. About 10 minutes minimum. That's if you're not carrying anything. And it's a steep slope as well. So those things really need to get factored in. Mm-hmm. What are but, some other considerations? Uh, I think one, you know, I actually get a good price for my eggs. It's like it would be the equivalent of like a $3 dozen, which is, it's ex- it's kind of expensive around here, uh, even though you're getting such a better egg. But um, I think in the same sense as a farm back home that wants to sort of maximize what they're getting, you have to, marketing is pretty important. Um, we are pretty small scale, so I can sell out of eggs and I can, as many chickens as I'll raise, I'll probably sell out pretty quickly. But it does take, it does take, people aren't banging down my door, I got to go find good business. Um, um, you know, we, we farm the mountainside, it's, it's not, I think a lot of people think a farm is a big flat space and a tractor, but this is totally different. You know, we're hands-on and uh, polyculture on the hillside with with microclimates so we just try to be we're trying to be diverse but we're this is really a sort of a a test farm i'm not dedicated all to coffee or all to corn or avocados or anything i'm just trying to grow kind of one of each and in the period of seeing what produces really well here with, with little work that we actually can eat well like you said too a lot of what you're doing at this point is still in the experimental stages and you're using the information that you collect over seasons to figure out what is going to be either a viable crop for the future or if you're going to try and experiment in another way, right? Yes. So how have you planned for the future with the community in mind? I know in places like this, community is extremely important, especially as we're somewhat cut off from a lot of other resources or it, you know, it takes time. For the most part, to get out of this town, you either have to take a boat or there's small tuk-tuks. There's not even a bus service around here. So... How has your interactions with the community been planned into the future of what you see for this site? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always, you know, I've always thought that people were the most important thing. So I, I try to learn names and talk to people and treat everybody like an individual. And, um, you know, so people are friendly when I go out. And um, I think that's important just that I'm, I'm here. They see me carrying things up the hill. I think that the people are happy to know one of uh, that someone from this village is working here full time. That that I'm providing his his uh, employment, um, and I hope to grow that. That's always the goal: is to give to get the cleaning lady more work and keep uh, keep him working. Maybe even one day I'd have two guys. And I think it's that. I try to keep it pretty simple. I'm not trying to grow any organizations or anything. Just just uh, keep, keep good ethics here and in the village. And I think that, that I, I have great neighbors who support me and, and just try to keep that going. Sure. And, and so how have you worked with both in, in educational capacities and some exchanges with Atitlon Organics? Now, I've interviewed both Shad and Neil from those places, and, and both of us work pretty closely in contact with them. They're sort of the cornerstone for uh, foreign interaction with this town, because they were here first, they have the biggest establishment, and they work really closely with the community. What are some ways that you've worked with them, and they've helped to benefit your progress here? Oh yeah, well Shad has been a big supporter. Uh, you know, he, he had kind of talked me into doing his workshop, which 
well, I would, I knew I was going to do it, but that was a big help. And then, yeah, pretty much as soon as you, if you study a little permaculture, you're probably ready to start teaching and you, you may not be amazing at first, but, um, you know, a lot of the concepts are really easy to explain. So, uh, Chad put me in teaching. Um, he, his involvement with the hotel, he's able to decide to buy the kombucha that I made and they were my best customer through this season. Um, and he'll offer me a consult. It's also kind of the benefit, a perk of being buddies with Shad is just that, uh, sitting around with him, you know, he's likes to open up about his ideas and, uh, I kind of get the inside track of what's going on with Shad, like right at this moment and the stuff that he's thinking about and his latest successes and failures. Um, and that's, that's, a, he can, he can really talk and I just like to shut up and listen to him and, and we get a lot of great stuff. He's, he's sort of the one who taught me to, a lot of the stuff he said at first would sound backwards, but then he would sort of, he would explain it and it starts to make sense. Um, so is, it, is that an answer? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And now I know that there are also some downsides of interactions with the community here. Can you explain some of the challenges that you've had? for being a foreigner in a very tight-knit community like this? Yeah, uh, well, we have we have a language barrier. I'm here using Spanish as a second language, and the local people are speaking Spanish as a second language also. So there's sometimes a, a communication barrier, um, you know, even with, like, local kids. I live up at the top of the village here, and a lot of the older people and kids just don't speak any Spanish, so... So there become these little, you know, antagonistic interactions, I think, just because we couldn't talk. We have we have no verbal communication. So um, that was a little bit of a, a little static at first, just being a new guy who looks different up here walking through and that we can't even talk, really. Um, and there's, you know, problems like exist in a, in a, in a kind of a poor Guatemalan village of, of some drinking and drug use and petty theft. And that's been a small, persistent problem here that I'm not used to from back home. But, um, you know, I like to think of that as kind of a small tax for all the beautiful benefits of living here. Sure. Like all the all the nice people that exist for every one guy who might come in and steal something or one kid and uh, the great weather and great soil and everything. Of course. Now, what are some of the main things that you've learned over your three years here, and how has it directed your goals for the future? Um, yeah, I think, first of all, I, I love the garden. I see that as this kind of ever-changing project. Uh, it's like a piece of art that changes over time, and, and as I become accustomed to plants growing and flowers coming out, you know, now I'm looking more of thinking about what plants will I really use? Not only ones that make me feel good because they look great, but like what is medicine or what is food? And how do I think of this garden uh, in the future? Almost thinking of like, what's the slowest thing that'll grow? That's what I should be thinking about planting. Um, I've learned to deal, just like we just said, kind of thinking about the social sector in my design and thinking through it, thinking through a design from if it's business, how, how do I take it to the stage where people actually are ready to give me money? How does it we get to the transaction? Um, and 
how to keep it going, how to keep this as a, as a business, as a sustainable business, but where I'm making deals that everybody feels good about, you know, where we can look each other in the eye and shake hands and, and everybody's happy and that I, that it stays interesting. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Now you've also talked to me in the past about how the relationship with energy here is completely different from in more developed and built up places like the United States or Europe. Can you explain how that's affected your lifestyle here? Yeah. Uh, you know, it seems like we, people are trying to just burn up the fossil fuels as fast as possible. And, uh, I don't know. I like to have this site be, you know, pulling carbon and putting it into the ground. Take, we're doing our part to pull carbon out of the air and put it back into the ground. And, and it just makes me more conscious of what, you know, what I'm, what I'm spending money on that's 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 kind of like fossil fuel based like shipping and transport and some aspects of travel and flying and and you know how we allocate our energy so for the lack of things that normally do a ton of the brunt work that other people spend less time on in developed areas mm-hmm. like like we were talking about getting things transported up here it needs to get done by foot it's the only way to access this property from the road um, the fact that you can't get machinery on the slope of your land. And so all of the farming, all the gardening gets done with manual labor. Mm -hmm. And yeah, in general, the, the value added products, the processing that you do from the things that come off of this land also all get done by hand kind of gives you a perspective of how much energy goes into these, whether you're fueling a machine to do it or you're paying a, a person or feeding a person and how that energy gets transported and, and the byproducts of it as well. Yeah, that's well put. So you're, you're currently at an interesting stage because this is only a couple of years old and you have ambitions of taking this into something that is sustainable, that can keep you here on the land all the time. But as we talked about, the, the products that you would create from a place like this, agricultural products, uh, value-added products, don't fetch the same prices we would be accustomed to in other countries. And so income generation, and all the other things that are needed to make this a sustainable plot. I know you have those planned out for the future, but can you explain a little bit about where you are currently and some of your ambitions to get to that sustainable point? Because I know a lot of our listeners are somewhere within uh, you know, their goals for the future and their situation currently. How are you dealing with those dynamics? Okay. First, I, I work a job at another hotel by the lake. Uh, about three shifts, about 20 hours a week. And, you know, that has perks besides the money. I get to go online and connect with people and I get to meet new people and I get food down there, but I also get enough. I make money, which helps me pay my local worker. And by being able to work in the kitchen and speak English, I can, you know, I have that, uh, value and I, I earn money and I can pay my local guy. But ideally, you know, one day I would give up that job and I would take those 20 hours and, and keep stay here. Um, so I'm still working. I still work an outside job. Um, I make uh, the kombucha, which is a nice hobby, but I could uh, it's not exactly a farm based thing. And I could phase that out. But it's been a helpful income generator to, to help me 
push into other projects like it's paid for some of the chicken infrastructure fencing and housing uh so mm. what are some enterprises that you're planning on ramping up in the future in order okay. to bridge that gap yeah that like you currently have a little more of the hospitality just we have a lot of tourists and uh if i could just put people in the rooms here uh that's a that's an easy way just to have people come stay and sort of either provide their own program of lying in the hammock and reading or uh, being involved in one of the local workshops that's going on or if we offer something here uh, just to sort of bring bring those dollars into the village um, I'd like to scale up the meat and the eggs and uh, and and possibly develop a, a restaurant sort of a diverse coffee shop bakery restaurant uh, plant nursery um, that's where I want to spend my time is with plants and I think by selling plants and teaching people how to propagate and just just making nice plants and and moving them out the door uh, is, is I think the the best way I could kind of merge business and, and pleasure really is by, by working, continuing to work with plants Fantastic. Well, I know you and I are going to be working together a lot in the future to help make these things happen, so I'm really excited about that. And you've got a great start here. Thank you. You've done some fantastic work in a very short amount of time, so I commend you for that. Um, so you. how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your projects, Atitlan Organics, and are interested in renting out this million-dollar view <laughs> that you've got at the top of the hill here? Right. This place is called El Hocotel. El, like uh, Spanish word, Hocotel, J-O-C-O-T-E-L. Uh, Hoke Hotel on Instagram and El Hoke Hotel on Facebook. Uh, and I'm Max Benjamin. I'm on Facebook also. Uh, would that do it? Yeah. And uh, Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Sure. I look forward to visiting up here again soon. This is a really special place that you have. And, hey, I see you around all the time, so <laughs> yep. nice. we'll catch up again real soon. All Thanks right, for good. taking the time, Max. Sure. Thanks, Oliver. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into the interview. Now before I go, I want to try out a new segment where I'll answer listeners' questions or offer a tip or a trick each week. This first edition I'm going to call Using What You Have. So I recently was speaking to a friend of mine who had just come back from a natural building presentation by a man who specialized in Adobe building. Now at the conference, the guy was talking about how he was struggling to find good clay soil on his land because the site that he was building on was covered in really rocky soil. Now at face value, this seems like a pretty logical setback. Rocky soil isn't suitable for making an adobe mix. But if you take a step back, this is the perfect example of something that is often said in permaculture circles, namely, the problem is the solution. Now in this case, if the guy was more open to other options, he would see that having a ton of rocks on his site was a blessing rather than a setback. Now in this case, the locals in town where we live here in the mountains of Guatemala use stones for most of their construction. And while there are certainly adobe buildings and plenty of cement ones too, being open-minded to what you have in abundance rather than being married to the idea that your building be made of one material that you're excited about or that you specialized in, but would also have to be imported, will open you to many more regenerative possibilities. Now, for example, I started off in natural building intending to specialize in cob construction. That was the material that first really inspired me and what I focused on for the first handful of months of my apprenticeship. But as I started the travel portion of my learning, 
I quickly met teachers who advised me to really research the place and the site where I was intending to build to see what would be best suited for both the land, the climate, and the people who would use the building. There are a lot of other criteria, which I go over in a few of the articles on the website, but the point is that if you go into a place or a project with an agenda rather than an open mind, more often than not, you'll end up fighting the land, the people, or even yourself in order to make your conditions match your agenda. Of course, this applies to so many things other than building. If you're intent on growing a certain crop that just isn't suited for your climate or your land, you'll have a huge uphill battle trying to make it grow. But if you select species that are bred and adapted for those factors, you'll find you barely have to do any maintenance and they'll just take care of themselves. Now, before I get a whole bunch of listener mail, I know that you can grow things out of their specified climate or, you know, amend the landscape and create microclimates. But again, this is a good example of where you have to do a lot of amendments and a lot of extra work. Whereas if you select species or breeds that are acclimatized or specially bred for your conditions, no one's going to doubt that it's just so much easier to make them grow. So the point is, keep an open mind and be flexible about the process and the method of how you achieve your goals. You may just find that you'll have success in ways that you could never have imagined just by being flexible to what your environment is already offering you. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from contracting, design, consulting, and education. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, where I share updates and pictures on our projects, regenerative living articles, and even free resources and giveaways. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback and emails to me. Your contributions help this to be a conversation and a dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email us directly at info at All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you all the information and content that you want. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again on next week's episode.